In our episode for today, we want to investigate the murder of Jesus. The innocent God-man faced the death penalty, death by crucifixion. But first, let, let me just say thank you to all of you for listening to Bible Threads and our other great content from Time of Grace. Check out our video teaching and our seven other podcasts. Go to our store at timeofgrace.org and take a look at our books, devotionals, Bible studies, and journals that address hundreds of different topics. There's so much Bible content at timeofgrace.org. Check it out. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. So the big question is for today, who was responsible for crucifying Jesus? The answer to this question is multifaceted, to say the least. So today we want to examine those facets to determine who the perpetrators were who murdered Jesus. In our last episode, we investigated the crimes committed by Judas from Kerioth, who certainly had responsibility for Jesus' death. Next, let's consider the Jewish religious leaders. There is no doubt that the Jewish religious leaders also had responsibility for Jesus' death. As we mentioned in our last episode, the Jewish religious leaders, according to Matthew's Gospel account, schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. The Apostle John, in his biographical sketch of Jesus' life and ministry, described the events that followed the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. He wrote, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they ask? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The religious leaders then began looking for an opportunity to arrest Jesus and kill him. John goes on to say that the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Finally, during Jesus' trial before Governor Pilate, it was the Jewish religious leaders who stirred up the people to demand that Pilate have Jesus crucified. So, who were these religious leaders? Let's do a quick overview of the Jewish religious groups that wanted Jesus dead. First, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious group that came into existence around 100 BC, during the time of the Hasmonean dynasty, which we explained in the previous episode. According to Bible scholars, there were approximately 6,000 Pharisees at the time of Jesus. The Pharisees were the self-proclaimed guardians of the Jewish law, and as such, 
they were the most hostile group to Jesus. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their false teaching, for their false humility, and because they let their traditions and man-made rules overshadow the power of God's word. On the other hand, the Pharisees condemned Jesus for not following their traditions, for healing people on the Sabbath, for allowing his disciples to work on the Sabbath, and for associating with, quote, sinners, like tax collectors, prostitutes, and publicans. By the way, the people referred to as publicans in the New Testament were Jews who worked for the Roman government, making them a hated class of people. It was the Pharisees who led the effort to arrest Jesus and put him to death. But not all Pharisees were hostile to Jesus. Both Nicodemus and Saul were Pharisees who came to believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah. Another major religious group was the Sadducees. They also had their beginning during the Hasmonean dynasty about a century before Jesus arrived on the scene. The Sadducees, named after Zadok, who was the high priest during the reign of King Solomon, were the Jewish nobles, the upper-class elite. Unlike the Pharisees, who had their oral traditions, the Sadducees only accepted the Old Testament written law. Also, unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection and the afterlife. When it came to their influence and rule in Jewish society, the Sadducees held the largest number of seats in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. More on the Sanhedrin in just a bit. Another religious group that shows up frequently in the New Testament are the scribes, sometimes referred to as the experts in the law. Jesus often lumped the scribes and the Pharisees together, condemning them both for their traditions and man-made laws. The scribes were the ones who tried to set traps for Jesus. One example was when they brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. Another example was when they challenged Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And like the Pharisees, they also condemned Jesus for associating with sinners. These three religious groups, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, were all represented in what was known as the Sanhedrin, sometimes referred to as the High Council. The Sanhedrin ruled on both important religious and civil matters. Some Bible scholars suggest that the Sanhedrin, at least their practice, dated back to the time of King Jehoshaphat, who reigned from about 873 B.C. to 849 B.C. He was a king of Judah and one of the few kings who were faithful to the Lord God, Yahweh. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, we learn what Jehoshaphat established. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of the Israelites' families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. And they lived in Jerusalem. Although not called the Sanhedrin in Jehoshaphat's day, this earlier version of leaders conducted many of the same duties as did the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day. 
The Sanhedrin was comprised of 71 members. Included in that number was the high priest, the heads of the 24 divisions of priests, scribes, and elders, many of whom were Sadducees and Pharisees. And the high priest was the president of the Sanhedrin. The word Sanhedrin comes from two Greek words, one meaning together with and the other meaning a sitting place. So the Sanhedrin was a group of religious leaders that sat together in formal session to decide matters of importance. After Judas betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, for a night court trial before the Sanhedrin. This trial was actually illegal, according to the Sanhedrin's own rules and procedures. For example, capital cases could only be tried during daylight hours, never at night. Capital cases could not be tried on the eve of a Sabbath or a festival day like Passover. A verdict in a capital case was to be delayed until the following day. Any death sentence had to be voted on in the inner court of the temple. It was required that an attempt be made to find witnesses for the accused. And finally, capital cases were required to open with arguments for acquitting the person on trial. Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin occurred at night, with the verdict coming that same day. Not legal. The verdict against Jesus was issued at the home of Caiaphas, not at the temple. Not legal. And there was no indication that the Sanhedrin offered any witnesses or allowed any arguments for Jesus' acquittal. Again, not legal. So in the case of Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, they sidestepped their own rules and procedures just to get Jesus convicted. No doubt about it the Jewish religious leaders were also responsible for Jesus' death. Then there were the Romans. After Jesus was condemned by the Jewish religious leaders, they took him to Governor Pilate and asked that Jesus be tried for sedition, in other words, for trying to overthrow the Roman government. The religious leaders pointed out to Pilate that Jesus had claimed to be a king, that would be a crime punishable by death. Now, it's unlikely that Pilate was concerned about Jesus overthrowing the Roman government in Judea. There was no evidence that Jesus had planned to do this. But what Pilate was concerned with was angering the Jewish religious leaders. Let's first get the backstory as to why this was a concern for Pilate. Pontius Pilate was appointed governor of Judea in 26 AD. The appointment was made by an advisor to Emperor Tiberius, a man by the name of Sejanus. Sejanus was the chief administrator of the Roman Empire and a confidant and close friend of the emperor. But Sejanus got involved in a conspiracy to overthrow the emperor, some friend he was. As a result, Sejanus was executed in 31 AD. But because Sejanus appointed Pilate as governor of Judea, Pilate also came under suspicion by Rome, making his governorship tenuous at best.
a Jewish philosopher by the name of Philo, wrote about Pilate's concern that the Jewish religious leaders might tattle on him if he didn't do what they wanted him to do. Remember, during Jesus' trial, it was the religious leaders who shouted at Pilate, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Philo wrote about an incident when the Jews protested against Pilate's actions in placing golden shields in Herod's palace in Jerusalem. He wrote, He, Pilate, feared that if they actually sent an embassy to Rome, they would also expose the rest of his conduct as governor by stating in full the briberies, the insults, the robberies, the outrages and wanton injustices, the executions without trial constantly repeated, the ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty. So with all his vindictiveness and furious temper, he was in a difficult position. You see, Pilate feared Tiberius more than he feared Jesus. In an effort to deflect from his own responsibility for issuing a verdict in this case, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, who was in Jerusalem for the Passover. Recall that Herod was a Jew by birth. But Herod sent him back to Pilate when Jesus wouldn't answer his questions or perform any miracles. So eventually Pilate ordered the execution of Jesus to appease the Jewish religious leaders. In addition, any potential threat of Jesus becoming the king of the Jews would then be forever eliminated. And Jesus' death would send a strong message to any other would-be messiahs or would-be kings of the Jews. No doubt about it, Governor Pilate was also responsible for Jesus' death. So were the Roman soldiers. The soldiers brutally tortured Jesus before leading him to Golgotha, the place where they executed criminals. If you want to get a sense of this brutality, watch the movie the Passion of the Christ, directed by Mel Gibson. Crucifixion, which was one of the most brutal ways to die, was the Roman method of capital punishment. But you know, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. Historians suggest that it may have originated with the Assyrians and Babylonians. It was for sure used by the Persians in the 6th century BC, by the Greeks in the 4th century and by the Romans in the 3rd century BC. The Romans used crucifixion as the preferred method of capital punishment for 500 years until Emperor Constantine I outlawed it in the 4th century AD. During the Roman Empire, crucifixion was rarely used among Roman citizens. It was mainly reserved for slaves, foreigners, and Christians. On that Friday we call good, it was the method used to execute Jesus. The Roman soldiers pounded nails into Jesus' hands and feet and lifted the cross upright. After about six hours of excruciating pain that led to Jesus' death, a Roman soldier pierced Jesus' side with a spear to make sure he was dead. No doubt about it, the Roman soldiers were also responsible for Jesus' death. Then there were the Jewish people. 
They were the ones who, after being encouraged by the Jewish religious leaders, shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! No, not him! Give us Barabbas! On Pentecost, the Apostle Peter reminded the Jewish people of their part in Jesus' crucifixion. He said, You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And then Stephen, when he was on trial before the Sanhedrin months later, reminded the people of their role in murdering Jesus. He said, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. No doubt about it, the Jewish people were also responsible for Jesus' death. So, have we identified everyone responsible for Jesus' death? We've identified Judas, the religious uh, leaders, the Romans, and the Jewish people. Is that it? I'm afraid not. I haven't mentioned you. And I haven't mentioned me. I haven't mentioned the estimated 100 billion people who have ever lived on this planet. All people, from all time, are responsible for Jesus' death. A few minutes ago, I mentioned the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Did you know that the director, Mel Gibson, was the one whose hands you see actually driving the nails through Jesus' hands in the movie? He did it himself to remind himself and everyone who had watched the movie that it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah prophesied who would bear responsibility for the suffering and death of Jesus the Christ. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus walked this earth. I want to focus on the 12 verses of chapter 53 because they are so descriptive of Jesus' crucifixion and so compelling in how it describes those responsible for his death. Isaiah wrote, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord's power been revealed? He grew up in his presence like a young tree, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that would make us look at him. He had nothing in his appearance that would make us desire him. He was a despised and rejected by people. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He was the spies like one from whom people turned their faces, and we didn't consider him to be worth anything. He certainly has taken up himself our suffering and carried our sorrows, but we thought that God had wounded him, beat him, and punished him. He was wounded for our rebellious acts. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so that we could have peace." and we received healing from his wounds. We have all strayed like sheep. Each one of us has turned to go his own way, and the Lord has laid all our sins on him. He was abused and punished, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, 
He was like a sheep that is silent when its wool is cut off. He didn't open his mouth. He was arrested, taken away, and judged. Who would have thought that he would be removed from the world? He was killed because of my people's rebellion. He was placed in a tomb with the wicked. He was put there with the rich when he died, although he had done nothing violent and had never spoken a lie. Let's pause here. He, Jesus, God's Son, was wounded for our rebellious acts. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so that we could have peace and we received healing from his wounds. That's a pretty clear description of who is responsible for Jesus' suffering and death, don't you think? As we finish up the last three verses of Isaiah chapter 53, there is someone else identified as being responsible for Jesus' death. Isaiah continues, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him with suffering. When the when the Lord has made his life a sacrifice for our wrongdoings, he will see his descendants for many days. The will of the Lord will succeed through him. He will see and be satisfied because of his suffering. My righteous servant will acquit many people because of what he has learned through suffering. He will carry their sins as a burden. So I will give him a share among the mighty, and he will divide the prize with the strong, because he poured out his life in death, and he was counted with sinners. He carried the sins of many. He intercedes for those who are rebellious. The final responsible party is God himself. And the Apostle Peter said much the same. Earlier, I shared part of Peter's message on Pentecost. Well, here is his message in a fuller context. He said, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Did you catch that? It was God's deliberate plan to put his son to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins the innocent, for the guilty. We all put Jesus to death on that Friday we call good. It was a good Friday because of what happened three days later. Jesus rose from the dead, totally victorious over sin, death, and Satan. And because he lives, we too will live. True Crimes, Bible Edition 2. In our next and final episode of this series, we'll investigate the greatest criminal of all time and just who might that be. If you have any comments or questions regarding this episode or any other, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. 
Thanks for listening, and God bless.